Do you ever feel like you've lost time? Like you're zoning out or you feel just disconnected from the world around you? Well, that's called dissociation and that's the focus of this week's episode. Take a listen to this clip. I remember mine started when I was about eight or nine um, around the time of experiencing um, abuse as a child. And it was almost like my body was in the room, but my mind was somewhere else. So the way I describe it is kind of getting out of your body um, and going to a different place. But it's, it's really scary. I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Welcome back, everyone. I just want to take a minute to thank everyone for listening and for the amazing support you have shown me in these few short months. This is just the beginning, and I am so excited for the future of Thrive and this podcast. It is an honor to be able to serve such a beautiful population of people. I would also like to thank everyone who reached out with questions on their moral compass journey. Wow. I love that you are all taking a leap of faith to trust in the things that I am saying and beginning the recovery, or should we say, discovery journey. Moral compass work is at the foundation of recovery. I will keep going back to it, and I ask that you seek one-to-one coaching with me or join the upcoming group to do more individualized work around this topic, because this week, we are going to switch gears, and we're going to start talking about skills that you can use to combat the symptoms of borderline personality disorder. Let's think about recovery for a moment, like building a house. What I want is for you to build a house of safety and containment, a house that doesn't keep you stuck in truly intense emotions, confused, overwhelmed, anxious, and depressed. We want to build a new house where you trust yourself, you trust your intuition, and you're confident in your ability to overcome this mental illness. So think about the first steps we took. We learned the diagnosis and we waded through the stigma so that way we could see what the prognosis was for BPD, which is actually good. And I talked about separating yourself from the diagnosis. So we can think of that as choosing a site for our house and preparing the site for a build. Moral compass work and identity development are the foundation of the home. So after we lay the foundation, what do we need? We need windows and doors to provide us with fresh air, light, and new life. So I want you to think of coping skills as the windows and doors on this new home of safety and containment that you are building. For every symptom, there are skills that we can learn to combat that symptom. The first symptom I want to talk about is dissociation. By listener request. I've had a lot of people ask me about it, and so I wanted to start there. What I'm going to do is review the three types of dissociation, what researchers think causes it, and what you can do to combat dissociation, which can be a really scary thing to have happen. Dissociation is a mental departure from reality. Dissociation represents a disconnect between your thoughts, emotions, behaviors, perceptions, memories, and identity. 
So the strongest predictor of dissociation in an individual on the borderline personality disorder spectrum is trauma, especially childhood trauma. Research shows that 71% of individuals on the BPD spectrum were physically abused, 67% have experienced sexual abuse, and 62% have witnessed domestic violence. Now, remember in the last episode, I talked about the definition and experience of trauma being different for different folks. Remember my story about dance class when I was five? (laughs) That was something I perceived as a traumatic event because I have a hyperbolic temperament and I was a hypersensitive child. Repeated events like that over a long period of time, let's say throughout childhood, would be just cause for dissociative episodes as would childhood emotional, physical, and sexual abuse and neglect as it's written in the research. So, Does it get better? Well, that depends. Research is based on numbers and stats, right? So the numbers say that 90% of people along the borderline personality disorder spectrum that experience dissociative episodes experience remission, meaning it gets better. However, the same research also says that 30% of that 90% So one-third of those people experience recurrence of dissociative symptoms, meaning they come right back at the same degree of difficulty. So, I mean, a couple of things. I hope you're beginning to see that research is not always conclusive and that there are individual differences that need to be taken into consideration. So what am I saying? Even if the symptoms go away, they'll come back? No, because first of all, 60% of people stay in remission. That's a lot of people, folks. But if you're worried about being in that group of people who never gets better, which, I mean, our brains do tend to go negative, right? I'm saying that recovery is a journey, and with the right support and the right skills, you can not only recover, but you can prevent future dissociative episodes. We'll talk about some mindfulness and grounding techniques to help you on your way in a bit. Okay, dissociation is said to be a defense mechanism. It's our brain's way of adapting to negative feelings and experiences or severe or prolonged trauma. Man, the brain is just so fascinating, right? So when something horrible happens, it protects us. And dissociation is one of those ways it does that. Dissociation could very could have very well protected you when you experienced trauma as a child, though... It's a problem for you now as an adult because it prevents you from healing and connecting with yourself and those around you. So let's talk now about the three types of dissociation. The first type is derealization. This is the feeling that the world around you is not fully real. It feels as if you're watching yourself from the outside, like you're in a dream state, or like you feel like things around you aren't really there. The second type of dissociation is depersonalization. This is experiencing feelings of detachment from yourself, from your own actions, your own feelings, thoughts, and physical sensations. Maybe you feel removed from things going on in life, or some people describe it like they're watching a movie about their life. The third type 
is dissociative amnesia. This is where you might block out or forget important personal information that many people seem to remember, like what street you grew up on or what your mother looked like. Now, within this type of dissociation, dissociative amnesia, there are actually subtypes. The first subtype is called localized, where you may have trouble recalling just a traumatic event. The second type is generalized, where maybe an individual can't remember any of their past events, whether they be traumatic or just any event in the past. The third subtype is systemized, where an individual only forgets a category of information if it's directly associated with the trauma they experienced, like a person or a place, even if it was an important part of their life at one point. It's important for you to know that the onset of dissociative amnesia is sudden, and it can last for minutes, months, days, and sometimes years, though that's rare for individuals with borderline personality disorder. There are some documented cases, but usually it's the minutes, months, and days time frame where it lasts. So again, I just want to review the three types of dissociative episodes are derealization, depersonalization, and dissociative amnesia. Okay, so this is really important. It's incredibly important that you have, if you experience dissociation, you gain the skills necessary to regain connection with yourself and the world around you. They say that dissociation is often the cause of people having a hard time recovering. It's considered a quote unquote negative factor. So this has to be addressed while doing the moral compass work. Find a safe space a clinician or coach you trust, and begin that process of healing. And also remember that dissociation is a symptom. It is a defense mechanism like splitting or projecting. The real work is done when grounding and reconnection occurs. So that's why it's so important to learn how to cope with dissociation and to stop these episodes, or at least at first, to lessen their intensity and frequency. Great news, everybody. I'm starting two eight-week groups, one for individuals with BPD and the other group that runs simultaneously to that for loved ones of individuals with borderline personality disorder. I have some spots left in the group, so if you are interested and you want to reserve a spot, please send me a message at rose at thriveonlinecounseling.com. You can also call at 1-844-9THRIVE, 844-984-7483. Okay, the first skill I want to teach you is called tactical breathing. I'll also talk about box breathing, but let's wait on that for right now. This type of breathing is critical to your recovery, and anything critical to recovery and in life in general must be trained. This is going to take practice, effort, and will most likely be a little bit difficult at first. We are going to take control of our breath and relearn how to breathe deeply using our full lung capacity. 
we are going to learn to breathe through our nose in a controlled pattern. Well, you may be asking yourself, why? Well, all kinds of really awesome things happen when we relearn how to breathe. We can think more clearly, we can make better choices while we were stressed out, and we can become more in control of our body and our mind. This type of breathing is taught in the military, so essentially, we're going to breathe like Navy SEALs. They are put under a lot of physiological and psychological stress, and this type of breathing is shown to reduce cortisol levels in the brain when practiced and done consistently. The first type of breath I will teach you is called the tactical breath. First, put your right hand on your belly. Think about pulling the breath in through your nose and pushing on that hand on your stomach so that your belly goes out. Then you just want to pull it back in. So think, belly goes out when the breath goes in and belly goes in trying to touch the spine when the breath goes out. This will allow you to fill your lungs to capacity as opposed to just breathing through the mouth, which only uses the upper part of your lungs. So let's do that right now again three times. Breathe in through your nostrils. Belly goes out. Breathe out. Belly goes in towards the spine. Again, breathe in through your nostrils. Belly goes out, breathe out, belly goes in towards the spine. And last time, in through your nostrils, belly out, breathe out, belly goes in towards the spine. So that's our one part breath. Now what we are going to do is a two part breath. And we're going to include our diaphragm adding to that belly breath. So now what you're gonna do is breathe in through your nostrils, belly goes out, and then you're gonna breathe in again through your nostrils and fill the upper part of your lungs. You'll know you are doing it correctly if you feel the upper part of your lungs lift. Now breathe out, releasing the air from the diaphragm first, and then belly. That belly goes towards the spine again. Once you have practiced the one part and then the two part breath, you can move on to the three part breath. This is what you're going to do for the three part breath. Breathe in through your nostrils, pushing that belly out, then breathe in more through your diaphragm and then again through your chest. You should feel your shoulders lift at the top here. Then breathe out shoulders first, diaphragm, and belly towards the spine. So as you can see, a true deep breath and breath control requires the belly to pull air down. The diaphragm works its part as well to pull air into the center of your chest. And then the chest itself is doing its work. So you're filling your lungs to capacity and really working all of those muscles to get that true deep breath. You must breathe in through your nostrils. This is really important. So whenever you can, breathe in through your nose. 
because the nose, breathing in through the nose, releases trace amounts of nitrous oxide, which helps deliver oxygen, nitrogen, and carbon dioxide, fuel, to our cells. The second reason is really important for people on the borderline personality disorder spectrum. It stimulates nerve cells that exist in your nervous system beneath or behind your sternum near your spine, which triggers the parasympathetic nervous system. That's the rest and digest nervous system, right? So that's opposite of the fight or flight response. So when you take air into the belly, you are calming yourself down. You're not just thinking about calming yourself down. You are actually calming yourself down, not just in your mind, emotionally, but physiologically first, which then also calms your mind down. So this is a biological phenomenon, guys. No matter how difficult this may seem, it does actually work. So start practicing the one-part breath. And when you have that down pat, move to the two-part and then to the three-part. You can then begin to breathe in this way continuously whenever you are in a stressful situation. Remember, practice, practice, practice. All right, the next type of breathing we're going to go over is called box breathing. Ideally, you want to use the two or three part breath to take in a long inhale. Start with a four count inhale like this. And then exhale for four counts. Work up to a six or eight count, long inhale, long exhale for maximum calmness. You can constrict your throat a bit when you breathe out to get that wind pipe-ish sound. Like that. So breathe in for a count of four, and you can even hold your breath at the top for four counts, and then breathe out for four to eight counts. So it would sound like this. And you know, you can have your right hand on your belly so that you can remember to push the push that belly out and then pull it back in towards the spine. So let's do this box breathing. And then I'm holding for a count of 4. 1 2 3 4 and now I'm going to breathe out. Ah, so relaxing. Okay. So I want you to do this four times in the morning, four times in the afternoon, four times in the evening. You can do it anywhere you are, whoever's around you. It's, it's not something I think that you need to stop everything to do. So it should be fairly easy in terms of, of uh, commitment to practice. So you can use these techniques anytime you feel tense. They are very, very calming. Don't wait until disassociation happens, though, and expect this to work. This is something that must be done on a regular basis to retrain your breath and to begin the practice of mindfulness. When I engage in box breathing, I use a mantra. I will often use the mantra, just this moment, just this breath, which I learned actually in DBT training. When I feel unsafe or scared, and it seems like these feelings are sort of coming out of the blue, I will tell myself, as I breathe, you are safe, no one is hurting you, no one is hurting anyone around you. So you can come up with your own mantra, mantra, whatever works for you. You can even use, I'm okay, I'll get through this. Occasionally, when I was greatly distressed, I would also use visualization along with box breathing. 
and I'll breathe for a longer count, like a six or an eight count. I'll pair my mantra with a visualization. Just this moment, just this breath is something I pair with being outside on a sunny, clear day in nature. You can use your own combinations. It has to be something positive, something that makes you feel at peace or at home. After every dissociative episode, I remember, I, I recommend, excuse me, engaging in this breathing in addition to your daily practice. It is incredibly difficult for most folks with BPD to regularly engage in these skills because many of us have executive functioning skills deficits like you'll see in ADHD diagnoses, as I have mentioned before. So our inclination is going to be to do it today, then maybe tomorrow, but eventually consistency falls off because our self-discipline is lacking, if even existent at all. So discipline yourself to do this three times a day along with your moral compass work. Speaking of moral compass work, self-discipline was one of the core values that I had stated in that moral compass episode. And that has to start somewhere. So as you can see, moral compass work is, like I said, laying that foundation and then self-discipline, which is part of that moral compass core values, needs to be practiced in order to get to some of these coping skills in order to do them consistently. Um, So it's very important to do something, start it, and then finish it. Do a project all the way through. And it's especially important for you to not do this for a week and then say, oh, you know what, it doesn't work, that mindfulness stuff is BS, I don't want to do it. I've been there before, so maybe you're not that kind, maybe that's not your MO. That's fair, but I know there are a lot of people out there who have a hard time getting to the the place where they want to meditate. So this breath is just the beginning. And if you make it a habit and you practice being self-disciplined, it will work. All right, awesome. One more thing I want to mention that I just thought of actually is if you're looking at creating this safe space for yourself and you want to do this visualization, one thing I learned while I was actually in treatment is to... Write down the image of something that would protect you, a protector. Maybe it was like a great warrior. And you can first, you can use some art and you can draw it out. Draw out what this great and warrior that would be by your side protecting you would look like. Then you can write yourself a story about your warrior. Use descriptive language. My warrior is brave and strong and courageous. My warrior is tall and he carries a sword or an axe or whatever comes to mind for you. And my warrior can protect me from anyone who's going to come towards me and try to harm me. And that warrior or whatever it is that you imagine your protector to be and that story you can start to incorporate into your visualization to create that safe space, that safe house where you can feel comfortable and your emotions are contained and you're in control. So really give some thought to what would your protector look like? Is it a mythical creature? Is it um, something in nature? Is it something abstract? Is it a warrior? Is it... You know, something you've seen in a movie. Is it a person? 
who is this protector? And no, no, it can't be your your favorite host. (laughs) Um, So then write your story about this person and do your art project. Really take the time to do that. Then when you go to do your box breathing, you can breathe in for your count of four. You can say, my protector is with me. My protector will not let any enemy come and destroy me. (sighs) Something like that. All right, great. So now we're going to wrap up and uh, go over some grounding techniques. The breathing techniques that we just talked about will go along with some of these grounding techniques. The breathing techniques are very important to help facilitate mindfulness. And the grounding techniques will help you become aware of your surroundings once again after you've come out of a dissociative episode or to prevent yourself from being pulled deeper and deeper into that episode. So I really like cold water. I think that it's very helpful in bringing people back to the present moment. So I suggest getting a washcloth and pouring cold water over it or placing it under the faucet and then place it on your forehead and lay down and do your box breathing or your one part breath to start and just feel and notice the way the cold sensation of that washcloth feels against your skin. Cold water is also helpful like if you go and you take a cold shower. I'm not sure if anybody has heard of the Wim Hof method, but cold showers energize you. They'll bring you back into that present moment. You can also go into your freezer and hold some ice cubes until you can feel that uncomfortable sensation, which will also bring you back to the present. Another thing that you can do if you worry about engaging or having a dissociative episode in public is you can get yourself a sensory object. So anything that has um, a texture that's pleasing to you, like a fuzzy blanket or fleece blanket or a certain kind of pillow, or something you can carry with you. I know at five and below, they have these like mermaid sequin journals. So if you run your hand in one direction, the sequins go in one color. And then if you run your hand up, they go in another color. And if you just like that sensation of rubbing it back and forth, and you put that journal in your purse or your bag that you're carrying, that would be something that you can use as a sensory object to just Bring yourself to the moment and feel the way your hand feels as you're rubbing on the sequins. Other ideas are troll hair, um, little mini keychains where you can get like a, um, even just like, you know, the plastic signs with your name on them so you can bend them or they have little balls attached to them and you can kind of twirl it around you could use fidget spinners but think you want to do something carry an object that doesn't scream recovery in community you want to be able to take it out have it in your hand and be anywhere you can be at a family function or you can be in the middle of a meeting at work so that that object is just age appropriate and it's also just very soothing and calming to you sometimes people use silly putty for this that's what i used to use silly putty is like a thing that shows my age, I think, (laughs) where I would go and get silly putty and I would just pull it. You know, and when we were at the eating disorder treatment facility, like that was a big thing. Everyone had silly putty and we would just kind of pull it. 
and pull it and pull it and twist it every which way because it just gives your mind something to do and your hands something to do and you can bring your attention to the way the putty feels in your hand which will keep you grounded in that present moment you can think of lucky rabbit's feet anything like that okay Another thing that you can do in terms of grounding techniques is you can stomp your feet on the ground. I've heard people say that they like to jump up and down, clap their hands, and just practice becoming aware of how that feels. Stomping the feet on the ground takes away the attention from the distraction and the disconnection in the mind and really brings it to this physical feeling of the ground underneath your feet. Um... Another thing that I will say is movement. So I want to do a whole episode on healthy living and how that has to be incorporated into recovery for, you know, lifelong success and, you know, remission of symptoms. But I'll just talk about movement briefly today. Movement, meaning running, jumping, exercising, working out, walking is really key to being grounded in the present moment. It is incredibly difficult to go outside right now if you were to do this and just run as fast as you can in one direction. It is incredibly difficult for you to be physically exhausted and emotionally exhausted at the same time or emotionally intense at the same time, which is why movement is just so key. You'll notice that if you were to go outside and go for a walk, if you haven't really exercised much at a brisk pace, or if you went for a run, now if you're a runner, you have to go for a sprint. You have to run faster and push yourself, that those techniques will help you. And if you were to do the box breathing and the one, two, and three-part breath, along with the visualization and the mantras and have your sensory object, and exercise every day. And this was something that you made habit in your moral compass core value of self-discipline. You would be very, very much less likely to have a, a dissociative episode in the future. Of course, it takes time and there's the processing of the trauma, yes. But all of these things really help you stay in that present moment. They keep you present. And being present means what? Well, it means that you won't feel disconnected from yourself or the world around you and you won't be as likely to go into a dissociative episode. Now, if you're out there listening and you're a loved one or you're a clinician helping individuals with borderline personality disorder or a coach, the last tool or technique that I will tell you about is the name five things technique. I love this technique. It's been kind of twisted around and stuff on social media to be different things. And I love that people are um, publicizing it and using it. Um, I do recommend that you do the name five things for all the senses and not the five, four, three, two, one, particularly if you struggle with intense dissociative symptoms. So if you're a loved one, and the person that you love is with you and they're dissociating, you can take them through this exercise. Or if you're a clinician at the end of your session, if you've had a really tough session, you can take your client through this exercise. And you yourself, if you're out there and you have BPD, you can do this yourself. So the first thing that you want to do is name five things you can see. And you just want to look around. I'll do it as we're talking, as I'm talking. So I can see my TV my guitar, 
my dog, my water bottle, and I can see the trees blowing in the wind outside in the front window. Okay, now I'm going to name five things I can hear. So it's got to be quiet because I'm doing the podcast episode, right? So I can hear the sound of the air conditioning. I can hear the sound of my voice. But I can't really hear much else. So I'm now going to think of things that I like that are pleasant sounding things. So I like the sound of people gathering in a safe space for a holiday, like for maybe Christmas time. I really like that. I like the sound of the waves on the beach. It's so awesome and calming. Um, And I like the sound of the door. So we have bells on the door. And my dog will go and ring the bells when she goes to open the door. So I love that sound of the bells and the doors because it means my husband and my son are coming home or it means that I can go outside or it means that the dog wants to go out and play. Um, Okay, so as you can see, I've named five things I can see and five things that I can hear and I'm off on a different tangent now. So that's what starts to happen. Your mind and your body starts to turn itself from the trauma thoughts, from that dissociative episode into the present moment, thinking about things, distracting yourself that are more pleasant. So after you've done seeing and hearing, you want to do smell. And smell's another one where you'll oftentimes have to think of smells that you enjoy. I love the smell of anything pumpkin spice. (laughs) Um, I love the smell of gasoline. Um, I love the smell of granola cooking in my oven. (laughs) I love food. So I love the smell of cookies. Um, And I also love the way that my husband smells. Okay. So we have see, hear, smell. We're going to do taste next. So what name five things that you really enjoy the taste of? So again, like it's going to be food for me. (laughs) Um, So we'll have chocolate cake, cookie monster, ice cream from this local place here. Handles, awesome. Um, I love the taste of chocolate pudding. I love that texture. I love the taste of, for some reason, mouthwash is popping into my head right now. So we'll just go with it. And I love the taste of um, meat sauce, which is this dinner that I like to cook for the family. Okay, now I'm going to name five things I can touch, but I'm not just going to sit here and name five things that I can touch. I'm going to get up and I'm going to touch five things. So I have my couch, I have this paper towel, I like that texture, I have my water bottle, it's kind of smooth and definitely plasticky, there's a pillow next to me with a button on it, I'm touching that button, it's smooth and the pillow is kind of rough in texture, and then I have the remote control, which has got these buttons and I'm just kind of feeling on it, awesome. So that's a pretty lengthy exercise, but it takes people out of their distressed state and forces them to focus their mind on the present moment. So again, you're going to name five things you can see, five things you can hear, five things you can smell, five things you can touch, and five things you can taste. So 
those are the grounding techniques that I love. And like I said in the last segment here about box breathing, it's important if you're on the borderline personality disorder spectrum that you practice consistency and self-discipline and commitment to this work if you want it to if you want it to work because it is easier for our brains to live in comfortable spaces and sometimes comfortable spaces are dissociative spaces that protected us when we were kids but now that we're adults we have to fight against that and it is a battle it's emotionally exhausting for many people to do this but that doesn't mean that it's not worth it so take it one day at a time and know that doing these things will help in your recovery journey. It's that next step. Okay, so rather than doing a Q&A today, I just want to talk about something I was talking about in one of our Monday night groups. So in one of our Monday night groups, we were talking about dissociation, and I was saying that there has never been someone, including myself, who has borderline personality disorder, who has not faked a dissociative episode. So being as though I am who I am, and you know a lot of the things I say are truth, I wanted to put that out there because when I said it in group, everyone laughed and agreed with me. Because unfortunately, once we find something that draws attention to us, and when we become desperate, to receive that attention in a moment of desperation, we will do anything to get that attention. It's not attention-seeking necessarily. I mean, people will call it that. Doctors will call it that. I do consider it this frantic attempt to get people to notice us because being noticed just feels so good to us. We just want people to see us. So I'm not dismissing individuals that experience dissociative episodes when I say that. I'm saying that if in your heart you know that you have faked a dissociative episode, that you have made it to be more than it is, or if that you've been just sitting around the house and your partner or your favorite host isn't listening to you, so you just get this blank stare on your face, Because you know that that'll get them to respond. Maybe they'll do the Name 5 Things episode because you guys just listened to it together. I would encourage you to go back to your moral compass and look and see, is this me being an honest person? And if not, consider never faking a dissociative episode again. Because... One, it's not right. And two, there will be times when you dissociate. And then people won't believe you. You heard of the boy who cries wolf, right? So you just want to be careful and pick and choose when and how you get others to see you. And we'll go over direct communication and coping skills that involve that too on the podcast And everybody is welcome to reach out to me for one-on-one coaching. I'll also have a group coming up that's a pilot group. It'll be eight weeks. We're going to talk about everything we've talked about here on the podcast and the rest of what I believe is an appropriate treatment for individuals with borderline personality disorder. 
So I'm going to need more people for that in order to get that ball rolling. So if you want to work with me and, you know, you want to reach out and do that, please do. It's rose at thriveonlinecounseling.com. You can also give us a call at one eight four four nine thrive That's 844-984-7483 or visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. If you do call, please leave me a voice message. The business is just me and my husband, so I will be the one responding to you or him, most likely me. So please leave messages. <laughs> All right, everybody. Um, it's great being able to talk to you guys. So if you have any questions, I'll resume Q&A next week. Thank you all. Have a good week. Okay, thanks for listening. That was from Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Thrive Mind Body LLC, online coaching that helps frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app that you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from the last episodes, and I'd love to hear whatever questions you have, too. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. We'll have all those links in the show description. Okay, we made it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Rose Skeeters, and I'll be back next week with another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Talk to you then.